All right. Welcome, everyone. Good afternoon or good morning, I guess, depending where you're at in the world. My name is Hannah Shane, and I'm the Director of Marketing here at Cloud Elements, and it's my privilege to be your host for today's talk show. First of all, thank you for joining us. I know we all have busy schedules, and we appreciate you carving some time out of your day today to spend some time with us. The intent of today's talk show is to introduce you to two of the world's leaders in CRM API integrations, Salesforce and Allbound. So regardless of whether or not you're familiar with Cloud Elements, we do API integrations, by the way, we hope to provide you with some valuable tips and tricks from two of my friends in the CRM realm. Before we jump in and theme with the talk show being AMA, which means Ask Me Anything, please feel free to submit your questions in the GoToWebinar console in the questions box to the right. We'll do our best to answer any and all questions throughout the event, but if we're not able to, we'll be certain to email answers to all the questions we receive. So with that, I'd like to introduce today's speakers. First up is Chris Champ. He's the Developer Relations at Salesforce. Chris has worn many um, API-related hats over the years, building, designing, and now making developers more successful with the APIs. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Hey, it's great to be here. And then Kyle, CTO and co-founder of Allbound. Kyle has um, been the lead evangelist of simplicity, agility, and good old-fashioned problem solving. Kyle's passionate affair with APIs and integrations has been on full public display for more than 20 years now. Thanks for having or coming here, Kyle. And thank you. All right, let's jump into some questions. So first up, Chris, uh, can you give us a little bit of background on how you got to where you're at today? Absolutely, Anna. Uh, so I started my career as a software engineer, uh, working predominantly with uh, web applications, and obviously got very involved with APIs back then. I think my first API, my first big API integration was probably the first iteration of Facebook Connect. Uh, through my career, I kind of iterated into leadership roles, uh, eventually doing some product management stuff around APIs at ExactTarget, which is now called Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Uh, and you know, I really kind of charted uh, chart the course towards interacting with developers and making sure they're more successful. And so that's how I've ended up into developer relations here at Salesforce. Thanks. And Kyle, how'd you get to where you're at today with um, being the co-founder of Allbound? Great question. So my 20-plus year career has been design focused, specifically around the marketing and technology stack. So being a basically a highly technical designer, I mean, there's a great deal of opportunity to be had uh, for you to bring value to the sales and marketing stack. Those are run by, often by designers and by business-minded designers. So I was kind of lucky that the way that uh, it works out for me and what my passions are, what my skills are, and the space that's created for that. So I've been rather uh, it put me to be a rather ideal server agency style services consultant for companies needing to get more out of those technology investments, um, which is kind of what led me to be the co-founder and CTO of Allbound, that we're a company who helps uh, other companies partner up and sell products and services. And when they do that, they need to collaborate more effectively. And the process to help companies collaborate more effectively is often a highly technical design-driven design conversation, and that's where I fit in. So what, in layman's terms, what does Allbound do? And I think we just want to make sure everybody here understands a little bit about what you guys do at Allbound. Sure. So Allbound is a partner sales acceleration platform. Uh, and kind of what that means in non-marketing speak is that uh, we're software that sits in between organizations that sell together. And given that 70% of the world's goods are sold by companies that didn't manufacture them, that's a great 
there's a really big market out there. So our software that lives in there is kind of a sales enablement platform. So imagine, um, you know, all the items around you that were purchased probably were not purchased directly from a manufacturer. They were purchased from another organization that needed to be trained and educated on those goods and services, um, and they needed to have you know technology integrated to communicate back to those sales and where sales are in the process. So we're a very attractive platform that uh, helps companies enable remote sales forces. Awesome. And so, Chris, um, you know, being the guy that's worn many API-related hats over the years, I'm curious to hear from you. What's been your strategy for designing app APIs? You know, I want to I want to get the why. Why is an API strategy so valuable to your business? I think the, the answer is pretty simple, and it's probably one that many of our listeners have heard. Uh, it's simply that you know, Salesforce, uh, you know, obviously wants to build a great product and to make all of our customers successful. Uh, but we can't do it all at the level of quality that you know anyone would want to do that our customers might expect. Uh, we want to provide this opportunity for those who see opportunities within the platform to expand and build upon it, uh, and where applicable, even make some money as well. Okay, and so how's the Salesforce platform API evolved over the years? Well, it's an interesting story, and I haven't been here. For, I, haven't, I have not been here through the whole ride. Uh, but you know, obviously, it first started out as simply providing a way to integrate data and, and do simple integrations with the platform, uh, and very quickly grew out into effectively a platform as a service, which allowed our customers to uh, not only customize their Salesforce instances, uh, but build brand new applications on top of them. I, I think those who've been following along with the ride have seen have seen this evolution and are witnessing it continue to grow in that direction as we move forward. And Kyle, at Allbound, how, how has your guys' API evolved over the years? Um, still pretty young. I mean, we're an almost two-year-old company, so it's, you know, an API first was our strategy, so it's, it's still very young. I follow Chris's point on the why, you know, the why API is, to his point, you don't want to do it all. And that's kind of interesting from my perspective, being kind of a small company, and Salesforce being so large that they say they don't want to do it all, but it makes total sense that we want to, for example, collaborate API to API with Salesforce, because they are a platform as a service and have a ton of firepower. Whereas, as Chris said, looking for companies like us who can identify use cases. So we're more of like a use case driven company um, who doesn't necessarily then want to make the investment or need to or have the ability to make the investment to do a lot of the low end firepower stuff. And so that's why our API and why from day one we wanted to have that because we didn't know all of the answers that we were going to need to solve for all of our potential customers in the future, but I certainly need to make that data available so that we can solve them as necessary as quickly as possible and leverage those other, other, other systems that are out there. So to your question about evolving, uh, well, it starts off right away of just being able to make your data available. Can you query it? Can you see it? Can you do basic CRUD operations against it um, to just create the room for possibility? And then you start writing business rules closer towards it. So we're kind of in the phase now of analyzing the API as to, well, what, what can it help you do? What business problems can it solve more than just being a pretty layer to your database? Yeah, it sounds like the, where the um, all-bound API is definitely going towards is having, you know, a very robust functionality. But before people even get there, they have to discover your API. So what ideas, Kyle, do you have around how to drive adoption for your API? That's a great question because it's kind of a sort of like a sales and marketing question, right? You're trying to develop a, a go-to-market strategy. And it's fascinating to watch my company build and grow and see what the sales team is trying to do, which is to sell the value of our product to our buyers 
And then I'm trying to do the same thing, but to a whole different technical audience, and you know, same way Salesforce is doing. So I guess the answer is, if selling anything, it all starts with a good story. And fortunately, um, Allbound is created by a bunch of marketers who are great storytellers. So my job then is to, first of all, make that API accessible, um, just to make sure that the data is there, that the endpoints are accessible, they're documented, and that it's you know, standard, uh, standard system that people would understand to be able to use, and tell a good story to developers. So I'm having to actually get out and do the legwork with some of my team here to find agencies, find developers, get them, you know, kind of circle them in, help tell a story, make us look attractive, and then try to you know, piece together the finances of the equation to either show them how they can you know, leverage this to become a partner of ours to sell their services, their, you know, their consulting services, or create pathways for them to plug in, you know, maybe in a more rigid fashion. Um, and, and so I guess the way that we do that is we're kind of hiring out the use cases, building some collateral, and continuing to sell it and iterate over it. Chris, what advice do you have to drive adoption for APIs? Uh, well, you know, I think I think the important thing about uh, driving adoption of APIs is to provide to provide functionality that wouldn't otherwise be immediately accessible to to the user of the API. Now, with Salesforce, obviously, we have we we, we build up the excuse me, an expansive platform of functionality uh, that developers want to tap into, whether that's simply integrating their, their data with our backend uh, or in, you know, in, in some more detailed use cases, actually perform actions that they couldn't do otherwise. Uh, and so I think making sure that we're pr providing an accessible and powerful uh, layer uh, that developers don't necessarily, couldn't necessarily build themselves in a reasonable amount of time or, or in, an, in, a, in a cost effective way uh, is really how we drive the adoption. Uh, so it's giving, giving, giving developers the, the you know, powerful tools that, uh, that basically help them do what they need to do. Kyle, can you walk me through an integration use case on Allbound? I'm, I'm curious, you know, what are your customers integrating to and um, what are some of their use cases looking like? Great question. Uh, the, the short answer is Salesforce, Salesforce, Salesforce. <laughs> but um, the, the being, you know, a company who's helping other companies work together, that answer can be varied. They, they all have a CRM, they all have some form of ERP, they all have some form of LMS, they also form a chat or document storage. They've got, as Cloud Elements calls those hubs, they've got some form of an element in one of those hubs. And it can be all over the board. There is commonality, and we do start to see that, in that it is largely Salesforce and Salesforce utilities, and there's a couple of other you know, kind of popular systems that may plug into that. So we, we're seeing what those are, but what winds up truly happening in our scenario is that the clients, first and foremost, kind of asking questions in a few ways. First and foremost, it's data sharing. So we're actually looking at it right away from just a data sharing standpoint of, well, what do you have in those systems and how do you need to move it back and forth or how can we help you gather more data uh, that you weren't previously able to get. So our engagements early on fit either into a data movement or a simply a use case, a user use case of how do you make it easy for a user who's in one system to get to another system or that you could cluster into two categories, largely of sort of a single sign-on project or data sharing that way, or just a straight-up data sharing API API combined. Chris, being in the de developer relations over at Salesforce, I'd be curious. What are some what's are some interesting use cases you've come across when integrating Salesforce to other endpoints? Yeah, I, I'd actually I'd actually kind of turn the question around just a little bit. Uh, you know, I think. We spend a lot of our time focusing on making sure that we can 
provide APIs that developers interacting with Salesforce can easily consume. Uh, so where uh, where it's less uh, less us directly integrating with specific partners, it's more about uh, embracing open standards, embracing good documentation, and just best practices around development to make sure that uh, our platform becomes very accessible. I could follow on to that one because specifically the question says like interesting use cases. What is interesting is the things that you don't know yet. You have a handful. <laughs> You have, you have some understanding of things that you want to move between systems or where users exist or which behavior is on which side of the fence and you know, how it all plays together. But the use case, like, that is pretty straightforward. And what you wind up discovering is, oh man, look at all these other things that are happening inside of Salesforce that are triggering events and behaviors and moving data and, you know, and creating complexities that you didn't even know that it, it potentially exists. And so the, the, the use cases that evolve out of that are really like this sort of Oh my goodness! Look what I just discovered. Uh, does this have value? Does this create problems? What am I going to do with that? More, you know, then, then could it derail your original plan, or does it extend the value of your original plan to create new opportunities? It's kind of fascinating. You don't really know what you're going to get until you open that up and have that data start flowing and just seeing what happens. Yeah. Before I jump into our next question, I just want to offer a reminder to our attendees that we're open for questions. And so if you have any that you'd like to direct to our speakers, feel free to submit those at any point in time. So um, Kyle, question for you. How do you go about selecting the apps that you would offer as pre-built integrations within Allbound versus letting developers write to your API versus using externalized integration services? It's a great question. And because being the Kind of like in the life cycle uh, that we are as a young company, everything's a possibility right early on. And so you sort of you have this vision of what you want to do, like what you want your platform to be, and that starts to get stretched very quickly by customer demand. And, and so it wasn't but about six, nine months in where our team sat down and said, well, we're still trying to validate our market space, we're still trying to validate our market needs, you know, and still trying to find that commonality that, you know, between all the clients and give us the sort of best place to invest to solve the best problems for our customers. And um, pretty classic scenario there. Well, we split the conversation into three. Well, what do we want to be core to us? What do we what can we integrate so that we just flat out don't have to build that or invest in that right now? And then the third which would be what's this this random custom one-off? And and to the day we're now you know, two years in and we're still building our team and building our strategy completely around that of being able to focus our developers purely on the core of our products, API-driven, of course, but purely on the core, I've shielded them completely from customs and integrations up until a couple of recent hires, hiring somebody now to just be looking at our API from a consumer standpoint of how the data can get consumed for integrations. And then the custom piece, we just brought somebody on to start managing the custom build onto our app, which largely also leverage our own API. So we've purposely tried to, like, segregate those three and start to have those conversations with our clients in those three buckets and tell that story. And it resonated very well. They were very open to it. Because the original questions from clients were, hey, how does Allbound do fill in the blank? And they were asking questions that were essentially, how does Allbound become Salesforce? <laughs> we're like, Allbound is not going to be Salesforce. Salesforce is Salesforce. And she was great at that. So we started by the beginning to be able to split the conversation from the sales process and get our buyers' minds Right, and then start segregating out the team so that we can focus focus that strategy now down the line on actually how we build with dedicated resources thinking from that perspective of what's core, what's a great company we should be integrating with that these customer needs and that 
solves for a lot of problems that we're not going to get around to solving, and then just leaving a wide open third bucket for flat out custom spellings in these cases that don't fit either of those other two scenarios. And so, Chris, I know that a lot of what you do to help out at um, Salesforce is, you know, enabling developers to write to the Salesforce API. So, what are some of the approaches you're taking to support those developers when writing to your API? How do you keep your documentation up to date, for example? Well, you know, it's an interesting story. Um, so, obviously, we have our developer portal. Uh, we have our success communities uh, kind of web application. We have our developer forums. Uh, and a very thriving uh, Stack Exchange website as well. Uh, so we, you know, we, we use a lot of community-driven tools to make sure that our community gets the support that they need. Uh, in addition to that, we we actually, you know, we have many many members of staff who actively monitor those those exchanges as well, uh, just to make sure that quality content is being surfaced and you know we're applicable. We're giving the best answers we can. Uh, an interesting anecdote I, I, I kind of wanted to throw out there was. Interesting thing about Salesforce um, R&D or, or the technology organization is that um, we build our we build out our technical teams uh, with the software engineer as a uh, as a fundamental kind of unit of measurement. And so what I mean by that is uh, we have ratios for the num for number of software engineers, and each number of software engineers immediately uh, requires supplemental headcount and uh, for for supporting roles. So as an example, uh, you know. You know, with n with n software engineers, you're guaranteed. Uh, you know, x uh, x QE engineers, y documentation writers, and z product managers. Uh, so you know, it's fundamental to the process to make sure we have support to write good documentation and are appropriately staffing all the all the technology that we're building. Yeah, that sounds like a really smart way to scale your organization and really good advice. So Kyle, we got a question from the audience. Um, thank you, Mark, for submitting this. What are some of the biggest integration headaches that you commonly see, and how have you overcome them? So I suppose the biggest integration headache is, well, two, one is stuff that you don't know. So if someone's asking you to integrate a system you don't know, then you start researching right away. You're like, well, let me go solve for this. You play the consultant role. That's obviously not scalable. That's very difficult. Um, once you've experienced it a couple of times, like Salesforce, and you know Salesforce inside and out, it's such an easy conversation, and so it's no longer a headache. So the the requests that you get asked for, man, you know they're going to be all over the place, and so you you have to just kind of deal with those as they come. But that can be your first headache point. The second headache point is, like I said earlier, is the, uh, is the discovering other things that you don't know, and then that having to educate people all around as you learn or as they go because your clients are varying degrees of, of technical savvy and they, they're they hiring you to integrate things and make things work because they don't know how to do that. So you're also then having to be a coach and consultant to them, be the voice of best practice um, and be the voice of reason about these simple, easy, economical, smart paths forward. Um, that's kind of a secondary headache. And then the third one is that these things are dynamic beasts that are alive. Um, that once you're integrated, the things keep moving. So our platform, for example, hey, it gets up and running. Content's in there. People are consuming. They're doing things, and there's behavior, but it's user-driven behavior that is, you can kind of account for and plan. But in integration, when data is moving and thinking, it is completely alive at all times, and it's a moving train that you then have to monitor and you have to pay attention to, and that becomes this sort of like real-time dynamic headache that you need to account for. You have to account for the visibility that you need to create 
to what things that are integrated and that are moving and what's happening with them and alarms that need to go off when they get out of sync or they're no longer working or things are broken. So there's there's like I guess that would probably be the point which would be the biggest problem is that you need to create visibility for yourself and for your team around what these integrations are doing and when they're no longer doing their job to let you know before your customers know. So, Kyle, can you expand a little bit on what are some of, what's some of your advice around keeping systems in record or keeping systems in record in sync? You know, I'm curious about how do you handle data transformations and what are some of the challenges that you've approached? Um, yeah, and I believe one of the someone actually asked a question about that uh, as well, and um, you know that, that's right here, which is that you do you do have this kind of like cross functionality issue of of where is behavior happening, where is data getting created, and where is it getting updated, and what's the master record. So the very first thing that we try to start off with is just establishing, you know, where where is the data going to be created, and where should the majority of the uh, of the data's life live? Like, which system is it actually going to be managed in the most? And we, for example, push that to Salesforce. So we're like, okay, well, let Salesforce be the master record, and let the business behaviors take place there. And we're just keeping a copy for visibility's sake to third party, or vice versa. So we try to go ahead and, and cut a clear line of ownership of which system owns it. And then, you know, event triggers or polling to keep the things in sync. And then the third level of that is actually write processes to monitor your data, scan across it, identify what is or is not out of sync on another schedule. Because things can get out of sync on an ad hoc basis. But go ahead and have a third tier that is just monitoring and scanning and reviewing data to try to flag for you if things look like they're out of sync based off of those business rules you established, you know, throughout the engagement. And so, Chris, I'm sure that you run into a lot of developers and other people that you work with that uh, are treating Salesforce as their single system of record and then kind of branching off of there to, to create, you know, a new application or a new kind of use case. What are some of the challenges that you run into where kind of helping people master where they're, where they're keeping their data in sync? Yeah, I think one of the... Uh you know, I guess the double-edged sword offering so much uh, functionality, uh, getting people to the right APIs and, and kind of showing them the, the, the way that we prefer they interact them is, is always, you know, always a challenge. Uh, it's very easy to get caught up in a use case that works for you that doesn't necessarily scale out. Uh, so keeping, keeping our developers, keeping our admins kind of informed on, on best practices is one of the ways that we, uh, you know, is, is I guess an interesting challenge for, for us to make sure that people are keeping their data in sync. Um, and, you know, another another common uh, challenge is uh, even when you find the appropriate use case, uh, streaming that data across our APIs in a way that doesn't overwhelm your uh, your rate limit. Uh, so, you know, working with people on good design practices to ensure that they are, uh, you know, getting their data uh, accurately, storing their data safely, and, and not running into problems where uh, where they're kind of exceeding their uh, their rate limits. So really, it's, it's all about education from, from our perspective, uh, making sure people understand the best ways to integrate uh, and are you know, adequately supported when they, when they want to uh, put those integrations into, into practice. Right, and that's one of the things that you don't know until you know. You start with a pretty small use case, thinking you have small data that's not—it's not going to be that voluminous. And boy, are you wrong right away when you find out that oh, there's a lead cleansing process in Salesforce that's triggering every single thing to be touched frequently, and suddenly your rate limits jump up and you know, you just totally didn't even know that that could possibly happen, and it affects both systems, both sides. So I guess it is sort of playing for the worst, and also doing some light testing to see if that worst is a possibility. And because we've seen that where 
you know, some just benign little process that's watching for something actually accidentally gets a ton of data that met the rules, but certainly not the intention of the engagement, and shut down the API when you violated rules limits, and that shuts down four other systems, and it's a chain process from there. So, you know, kind of that tread lightly when looking to get those systems talking, and, and do small use cases and put your own throttling in place so that you don't overwhelm the system as well with just trying to do what you do with it. Sure, yeah, and this is starting to sound like we're, you know, future-looking if we're thinking about scalability being a big issue or a big challenge for us. Um, Chris, I'd be curious to hear from you, like, what what do you think are some of Salesforce's plans around, uh, you know, preparing the Salesforce API to be really scalable, and what what would be some of the surprising lessons that can be learned from that? That's a great question. You know, I think... Uh, you know, we, we, well, we spend a lot of time on uh, initiatives and projects that our customers probably don't have a whole lot of visibility to. And it's really around making sure that we obscure any, any growth problems uh, from our customers. So you know, we've got entire teams focused on performance engineering uh, that you know, they, they, they don't necessarily have products or features that are released to our customers, uh, but they are you know, integral to making sure that our customers succeed. Um, just kind of chewing on some other use cases or examples here. Uh, you know, we, we, we do that invest a lot in, uh, you know, the developer experience. Uh, I don't want to touch too too deeply on that other than saying, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of interesting things at this year's Dreamforce that I think will kind of demonstrate how we are making sure people can build systems at scale out. Awesome. So Kyle, also kind of future looking, um, curious to hear what you guys think at Allbound about, you know, monetizing your API and um, kind of creating, you know, a new revenue stream there by expanding on what's available with your API? Uh, most definitely, a I think it's a services model opportunity that that finding like what's not core to our product or our mission and just making sure that it's available via the API creates that opportunity. So it's the opportunity when a client asks for something, you know, that is not core to the product, but they have a need for it, and they probably have a budget for it. For us to be able to, you know, point to a, a friendly agency or a partner and a, you know, partner organization and say, why don't we introduce you to somebody over here who can solve that for you? They're up to speed. They know our systems and our API. They know how to do that. They can build something custom for you that you know, quickly and efficiently to solve that for you. So it's it's you know, we're all about creating opportunity, and and and, um, and that's what an API represents is the opportunity to create new panels, new screens, new interfaces, new experiences with shared data you know, in a way that wasn't necessarily needed before or possibly not even a scalable way, but it doesn't need to be scalable. It's just one-off problem solving for clients, and that's, that's money every single day. That's somebody who has a problem needs to be solved, and I don't want to be the person to tell them it can't be solved because I'm not going to write it into my application. I want to be the person to tell them it can be solved, and let me actually introduce you to the person who can solve that for you right now. Where do you guys stand in supporting an open API versus just um, keeping it private within your company and your developers? It's, I guess it's open, but not like open as in like Facebook open. <laughs> so, but everything, you know, even the ones that are documented and open to the public, you still have some form of credentialing and permissions to get in and consume. We are we are loud and proud. We want everybody to know everything. We've got no secrets, and 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 so we you know, we want to be authentic and and we want to be community driven. I mean that's it's part of our core values. It's who we are. It's in our DNA. It's in our team from top down. And so it's going to be in our code base as well. Um, not saying that we'll like open it up and be like here's open source all down code, but 
there's awful lots of it that we're already looking at and thinking, hey, how can we just share that out and give that to somebody to be using? So we want the API to be right out there and visible. It's, it's out there public and indexed by Google right now. The documentation's already there. Um, part of the question earlier about how do you drop an option, <laughs> I'm begging people to adopt it. So I want to make it as, as publicly visible as possible and that you know, give people test accounts and, and give them that experience. And it helps that I, being a developer and consumer of their systems, have other you know, people to look to in that model. I can look to Salesforce. I can look at you know, HubSpot, Marketo, Elspot, look at these other companies and see what they've done in terms of giving developers free accounts, giving developers resources, and giving them the opportunity to get in and build stuff when they may or may not even have a specific use case, but just creating that potential for them there. So is it going to be open? I hope so, and I hope that everyone wants to get in and, you know, and figure out how they can extend value to their own customer base with it. And just to build on that, I mean, obviously Salesforce takes a lot of pride in, in publishing, uh, publishing, publicly documenting all of our APIs, uh, making them very available to our customers, uh, and, and to, to Kyle's point, you know, providing free free trial accounts for developers to go explore and understand how to integrate with them. Uh, I think I think you know what you're going to see from Salesforce longer longer term is continued continued growth in that area, uh, making sure that developers have, you know. You know, great, great access to the APIs and the technology uh, without having to make an investment, so they can understand what the, the platform can do for them. Uh, and hopefully, you know, I'm, you know, this shouldn't be a secret. You know, in, internally evangelize for those products and features uh, to bring them in house. Uh, so I would definitely say uh, providing an open environment, even even if it is for pay, but providing an open like sandbox for people to experiment with and understand the value is a, a core part of our developer strategy. Awesome. Okay, so I'll do one more plug for just the middle of the webinar. Um, if anybody else has any other questions, feel free to continue to submit those through the GoToWebinar console, and we'll get them in the queue for Chris and Kyle to answer. Um, so I'm going to transition a little bit, guys. Um, we have a couple questions that came in around what would you like to know about designing a CRM API strategy? So first up, Chris, if you want to take this one. We're interested in learning a little bit more about API trends for cloud applications, such as Salesforce, and the security aspect when it comes to uh, personal identifiable information. Yeah, I, I love that question. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a passion area for me, and some interesting things I've, ha I've seen happen in the space. I mean, obviously, especially as API, uh, APIs become more common, integrations become more common, there's going to be a lot more PII floating around. Uh, and it's important to keep that keep that uh, data locked down and secure. Uh, we, you know, uh, it's no it's no secret that trust is Salesforce's number one value. And some interesting strategies I've seen, and I think I think we're going to continue to see growth in this area, uh, are clever ways to keep data encrypted at rest, so that uh, one party might not have any access to the data, even though they're holding on to it, uh, with kind of sophisticated key management strategies. Uh, so encryption key management strategies, so that the data can be can become accessible like as an on as uh, an uh, need to know kind of basis, <laughs> and so I think it's a, a really exciting space. I'm really looking forward to seeing you know what the community and uh, what the I guess uh, standards organizations kind of roll out with with this increasing flow of uh, of sensitive data that needs that needs to be shared in a uh, uh, I guess a standardized way. Kyle, do you have anything you wanted to add to that? I do. My answer is. I hire a security person to solve this for me to <laughs> validate it because you you can't know everything about everything and 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 you just you can't and so perhaps the question comes from somebody who's very focused on security and 
you know, but then they would probably have other people on the teams focused on things that aren't about security. So I, you know, we're constantly trying to train and share. Get a little feedback there. Uh, so we're constantly trying to train and share our team on security and security best practices. Uh, you know, following the companies like the, groups like the SANS Institute and whatnot. But we're, uh, but when it comes to the actual like real serious security, bring in a security consultant and have them tell us that. Uh, have them really fully analyze this, you know, on a quarterly basis, and it is part of our strategy. But let uh, bring in the pros to do the pros work on the really, really important stuff. But on something low level, like you know, I say low level, but it's important, like person-identifiable information. Obviously, that's just data that's being shared. I'm pulling that from Salesforce. I've got to be very cautious of where that is stored and make sure that it's not sitting on an, you know, in, you know, in a non-secure location. And, Chris's point that if it is at rest and it's encrypted, no one else can get access to it. And if I can, make sure it's temporary and then get rid of it. Um, so uh, we we try to get the team to basically be just knowledgeable superficially and as deep as possible, but bring in the, the heavy guns for that. And also partner with organizations like Cloud Elements and even Salesforce that if I can get it to pass through an organization that's focused on security and, and you know, let them be the processor and then store it on a place like Salesforce that is focused on security, that takes two out of three pieces out of the equation and then has, allows me to only focus on my own security issues. Cool. So, Chris, I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, and I think we talked about this a little bit, but maybe we can just expand um, some more opinions. What do you think about the strategy of open sourcing integrations in order to reduce the request for customization? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a uh, – a, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Widely debated topic. Um, personally, I, I, my personal opinion, I'm very much in favor of, you know, sharing sharing non-proprietary strategies for for integrations. Obviously, Salesforce I think does a great job of publishing, you know, best practices, how tos, and kind of and kind of steering the community. And I think it's great when other companies who are building integrations share that information as well. Uh, I think the you know the kind of caveat being. Uh, when, you know, when is it okay to kind of share that secret sauce, and, and what becomes secret sauce? Um, but in general, I think, especially when it comes to these larger, larger integrations, or when companies want to become very accessible to to other partners and other other integrators, uh, it, it's it, it can become fundamental to the to I guess a almost a business strategy. Really, um, I'm really curious to hear Kyle how you feel about that as well. Being you know being uh, where you are in the space, and obviously very much being interested in having people integrate with your APIs, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm an open source guy. My team's open source. Um, you know, that's, that's the space we were born out of. You know, we kind of come out of web development more so than software development, you know, and then those, those have kind of merged nowadays. But we came out of open source, uh, out of the open source world, and we love that. Um, so we're all about the collective and letting the collective solve problems. To Chris's point, if there is something that is super core to your business that is, uh, you know, that needs to remain private, by all means keep it private. But hey, if anything else you can open up, let them solve. Sometimes they can, from a business standpoint, you can be a bit fearful. You can think, well, I need to keep that in-house. I need to keep all the revenue. I need to keep everything. Well, maybe, but maybe not. There's an opportunity cost of maintaining all of it. Some of it you just need to set free. 
So if your business strategy is, for example, like WordPress, is to build the code, set it free, and then once everyone adopts it, make money in a lot of other ways, good for you. If it's actually to be more of an enterprise app and that you're just making it accessible so that people can be helpful or useful or create their own little you know, financial ecosystems, that's also fantastic. So I think we live somewhere in the balancing of the two, of wanting to open up and share things with everybody, and then, you know, but trying to settle the business realities of like, well, what needs to stay here that's core? And then just in my point of view, I want to figure out how to get rid of as much as possible, as fast as possible, so that we can do more. I want to jettison sort of the responsibility of building out everything anyone's ever asked for. And I firmly believe the answer is the community. And if I can't, if I don't have the revenue to hire the community to come do it for me and own it, then is there value in me setting it free sooner so that it solves problems for the clients and you know, and then we all continue to win. Kyle, let's talk a little bit more about you know if, how much faster you guys are able to be building integrations and what endpoints you guys have specifically. Because one one question that we got from the audience was you know what kind of goals should we be measuring our tactics and strategy towards, and you know where I think he's trying to get to is you know what's a reasonable time to market for some of our API integrations and what should we be measuring towards. It's a obviously a big question, you know, without we need some specifics to kind of break that down to you know, like what is API so core to your story that that's all you do, or is it just secondary pieces to it? Um, I'll just kind of give you my story, and our story is that um, well, we definitely need to be CRM integrated. Um, and you know, the vast majority of our clients are Salesforce. So the users in our system, there's companies, and then there's users, and those users are sharing information about leads and opportunities. We, we follow the classic Salesforce example that everybody's very familiar with and used to, and that works really well. So, um, you know, our time to market with that, I know Salesforce and Salesforce's API, but it's a longer time to market if, if I'm having to go build every aspect of that. Ours was a very quick time to market, to throw in a plug here for our friends at Cloud Elements. Ours was a very rapid time to market because they already have the, you know, a nice restful setup for me to just query through them, to talk to Salesforce in a simple way. Again, I could do that on my own, but that's one more thing I own. So I could speed up and create, you know, a, a very quick time to market, and a quick time, a quick return on investment, leveraging someone like Cloud Elements that standardizes connections to other systems. So if it's multiple systems that you're looking at talking to, then then your reasonable time frame is cut drastically by looking at someone like Cloud Elements that can just standardize it and make you know, allow you to only focus on certain areas. I don't have to keep up with every aspect of Salesforce's API because Cloud Elements is already doing it. However, if it's just super core and I'm only going to do one thing and I'm looking at it on my own and I already know it, I feel like I can get that done and feel like my team can get that done very effectively and very quickly, especially approaching it as, as with a bit of a minimalist strategy of don't over-engineer it, don't overthink it, don't plan too much for the future, a very MVP style. And I think that your turnaround is a couple of weeks, a month, it, you know, most integrations that you're doing with popular systems have been done. That you can keep it simple. You can find someone else who's, uh, who's who can help you speed that up, and you can get it done in a couple of weeks to a, a month or two tops without even really stressing out your client. Nice. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, and so, Chris, transitioning a little bit, we have a question around. Um, you know, what are some of the resources or best practices available out there for? technical leaders that need to handle data and transformations? Uh, I think try to unpack that a little bit. It, it, sounds, it sounds like the question is kind of around uh, strategies for planning one. Uh, I, I'll kind of dive into that. Uh, I think you know, it's important, especially when you're dealing with these large integrations, uh, 
to do your research first and not just not not let uh, the first the first couple solutions that that jump out of you be be the driving factor behind it. Uh, I think it's important to uh, look look into the available I guess look into the available resources and really dive deep and make sure you understand exactly what you're doing. And as Kyle kind of touched on earlier, understand what the, you know, try to do your best to understand what gotchas you might run into down the road that might not immediately be uh, kind of evident as you as you plan your integration. Uh, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, understanding how how the rate limits will be consumed based on your integration, uh, understanding if you're using the best API for the job. Uh, understanding, you know, what what your projected growth is going to be. These are all like kind of key questions that you should be looking at before you even start laying down code. Uh, so I guess to summarize, really, uh, investing in the kind of discovery phase of those integrations, uh, you know, trying to identify, especially in the, like, the Salesforce community, other people who have solved similar problems, kind of get their feedback or at least read read, read what maybe they have written in those communities as they build out the integrations. Uh, and of course, and I kind of like the quote earlier, Kyle. Kind of plan for the worst. Make sure, make sure you understand what what could happen given uh, unexpected data volumes and things like that. In our data transformations, we you know handle that. We we actually we drew us to cloud elements, and, and when we looked at competitors and other products, everyone kind of offered something, and we looked at those and thought, well, where could that piece of the code live, and does that and is that going to be an easy interface? Is it a non-technical interface, or is it a technical interface? And you know, is, am I still going to need technical resources on it? And we haven't quite seen it. We haven't quite seen the the point yet where a system is so easy and point and click and usable for a complex. You know, in in the case of a complex integration, that you could have a non-technical resource on it. And so, since there's still technical resources that live on this most of the time. Then you know we've handled transformations a couple of ways. One is we just handled it on our own. We just catch whatever post comes in from whichever system, and then just do a field mapping and transform any data based on business rules, and then send it on its merry way. I've written that, and it actually was fairly lightweight, and kind of ad hoc on each client until I find the commonalities and then merge it all back to one code base. Um, but we've also been you know, really been looking at cloud elements transformations and letting them kind of handle that. Here's a perfect use case for you. Yes, you can hit Cloud Elements Console and you can call through them at slash CRM slash accounts to get to accounts based off whichever CRM that instance is. But that data coming from Salesforce, nice and flat, is very different than the data coming from NetSuite, not nice and flat. So instantly when we had to talk to NetSuite, we were like, oh boy, like do we have to change our code? What do we need to change on our end? Nope, we looked straight at transformations that on, on Cloud Elements and said, well, let's let them transform it and go ahead and flatten it down so that it looks exactly the same. We don't have to dig into an array of arrays to get someone's address. We'll let those guys at Cloud Elements actually transform it down. So our, you know, following our top left top end strategy is, can I already have somebody else write something and make it work for me? If so, where is it? Is it, cost, is it more cost effective than owning it? So we transform it on each level, but we are pushing closer and closer towards the API of, of uh, Cloud Elements to actually be the one that transforms. So no matter what's coming from any of those endpoints, it's st completely standardized coming to us and less code that I have to own on the transformation side. All right, let's wrap up real quick with one last question for each of you. And Kyle, if you want to get us started, what's one last piece of advice you'd like to offer to um, you know fellow CTOs and Developers that are, you know, embarking in a similar, you know, challenge or trying to create a solution that's similar to what you had done at Allbound. What's your number one piece of advice towards those people? Keep it simple. 
less less is always more. You can always add on. You you will you will refactor. You will do that. I'm very fortunate that I come from a design background that became highly technical, and then I've dug into the technical. So I'm fortunate to not be a classically trained engineer. So I don't even have the intelligence to over-engineer something. I am very lucky that way. Now, does that set me up for you know some unintended consequences? It has done that. Yes, indeed. But uh, but fortunately, and there's a success path in that, which is keep it simple, but plan for the worst, and just try to tiptoe into stuff and leave as you know, light of a footprint as possible. And in doing that, look for the other code bases, the other systems, the other places that can do the job for you so you don't have to write it or own it. And also Google it. It's been done and there's great resources available. The Salesforce community is loaded with great resources that have all done it and can help you answer that question. Chris, what's your final piece of advice? Uh, you know, I, I really like Kyle's keep it simple, but uh, you know, I, I would offer, you know, think ahead, plan ahead, and you know, it, it can often be tempting to just jump in and start uh, architecting solutions, uh, but I think I'll kind of hammer home on what we were discussing earlier, that it really it pays off in dividends to uh, create a strategy for your integrations and uh, building your API, uh, building APIs or your API integrations, and understanding what the long-term goals of them are going to be, uh, and focusing on uh, you know what what it takes to be successful, and making sure that you aren't uh, uh, setting yourself up for for failure down the road. So again, keeping it simple, but <laughs> plan plan for <laughs> it. I'm just going to steal. I'm just going to steal whole, wholesale everything you're saying because I agree with you so much. <laughs> yeah, I like to keep one foot in the present and one in the future. And sometimes that you have to be quite limber to make that happen. And um, and so I I love having people like Chris available and resources like that to remind me to think big picture so that I'm not just so quick to quick to keep it simple and get it done. So it's a healthy balance and I appreciate that counter perspective. Much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to chat with you and hear a little bit of your advice around API integrations. Um, and to everyone else that joined, thank you guys for spending some time listening to our talk show. Uh, we'll be posting the recording to the show on the landing page provided here, here shortly. And with that, we'll say goodbye. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much, Hannah. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you.